This is The Rooted Podcast, a conversation about the Christian worldview and its implications for every part of life. The Rooted Podcast is hosted by Steve Royce and Brady Johnson. Together, they have over two decades of experience in the business and tech industries and share a desire to help others filter all of life through the Christian faith. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Rooted Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Brady. And on this episode, we'll be shifting our gears from the evangelism to doctrine and just diving right into kind of the deep end uh, with a discussion on the Trinity. Yeah, so hopefully at this point, you have had a chance to listen to our first week back with the fruit snacks. And as we talked about in our first episode back with the Rooted Podcast, one of the big focuses for this season of the Rooted Podcast is going to be doctrine. And so because of that, with Fruit Snacks, we've we've changed the format slightly where we're going to be spending three of the five episodes each week uh, on a particular doctrine. And part of the reason for that is there's just not, you, you just can't do most of this stuff justice with five minutes, just throwing five minutes at it. And so what I wanted to do instead was to take several episodes of the fruit snacks to really develop some of these things, even just a little bit more. And then if there's a a topic that comes up during that, that just warrants even more discussion, then that's what we're going to do here. And so because of that, we are trying to, trying anyway, to get it to where the fruit snacks are going to lead the main discussions that we're having here on the Rooted Podcast so that those episodes for a doctrine are going to come out at least a week or two ahead of whatever we happen to be talking about here so that you'll hopefully have some context. So all that to say, a really long-winded way of saying, if you haven't listened to the Fruit Snacks on the Trinity, uh, please go ahead and do that because they're going to give you just a very broad overview. Now, I'm going to I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here and just talk through kind of a 30,000 foot look at the doctrine of the Trinity before we dive in, but essentially the doctrine of the Trinity is a uniquely Christian doctrine in the sense that we affirm that there is only one God and that that God is multi-personal that um God is one God, but multiple persons, three persons, in, in, hence the name Trinity. And so the question then comes from, well, then where do we get that as Christians? Well, um, specifically, we get it from uh, various different places that talk about Jesus and talk about the Spirit uh, and equate them with God. Some of them are mentioned in the fruit snacks as well, but... Uh, the word Trinity, the term Trinity, never actually occurs in the Bible. And that's why the charge is often levied against Christians, say, how can you believe in the Trinity? Trinity isn't even used in the Bible. And that's true. But there's lots of things that aren't said specifically in the Bible that uh, nonetheless are taught because the principles and the, the breadcrumbs that are needed in order to form these doctrines are clearly there in Scripture. And so one of the things we mentioned was, for instance, that uh, Jesus 
Jesus uh, claims to be the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, he, uh, which is a, a divine figure in his own right, who uh, is a co-regent with the Ancient of Days and who's given an everlasting kingdom and everlasting dominion forever and ever, and uh, has equal with God characteristics, this Son of Man of Daniel 7. You also have things that Jesus does in the New Testament, like claim to be able to forgive sin, which immediately in the context is is mentioned, well, only God can do that. Yep, that's true. Uh, Jesus calms the storm. He calms the wind and the waves, which in the Old Testament worldview and in the ancient Near Eastern worldview, the ocean and uh, just water in general, the deep, was considered this... Um, this representation of the primordial forces of chaos and destruction and part of what every creation myth in the ancient world uh, talks about is how the god whoever that happened to be for that ancient culture one of the first and prime primary things that this deity did is conquer chaos they uh, they came and they made order out of the chaos they slew the leviathan which is the representation of chaos in the deep they they took the ocean and they they made it uh they gave it boundaries they they did all these things and we see we see some of this same language used in genesis which uh it, part of it is just the culture in which genesis was written this is how you talked about these things but what's interesting is you fast forward to jesus and here jesus is calming the wind and the waves which again is is He's signaling to his culture something very important because in their mind, this is a direct reference to divinity, frankly, because only only the Most High, only God would have that kind of power over the forces of primordial chaos. Only God himself can bring order uh, in this way, and Jesus did it, right? So we see examples of this from him forgiving sin, for him demonstrating uh, miraculous power from him rising from the dead after he was crucified over and over again jesus made claims and, and actually the claims to be equal with god is what uh, got him uh, in trouble with the jewish religious leaders to begin with right and so he was he was for their part he was arrested and beaten and ultimately crucified for blasphemy uh, which is the charge that they brought against him at the at the sanhedrin so we see for Jesus that, that uh, he didn't have to say, I am God, because he did all the things that God would do. And he, he made the claim in so many other ways uh, that it was perfectly obvious to his audience that that's what he was claiming to be. And the same thing with the spirit is that rather than uh, a force like in Star Wars, that the spirit in scripture is said to be um, equal with God. And when Jesus gives the great commission, he challenges the disciples to baptize in the name, which in, in the Greek is grammatically singular, the single name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And so the Holy spirit is equated with the father and equated with the son, right from Jesus's own perspective. Uh, the Holy spirit is called God by Peter in Acts chapter five. And then we see just over and over again, examples of how the spirit is is discussed or treated um, and paul talks about uh, that the holy spirit can be grieved uh, peter said in acts 5 that he can be lied to these are things that only apply to persons um, i can't lie to my microphone i can't make it feel sorrow i can't grieve it 
these are attributes uh, that only apply to persons. And so for that reason, Christians have, I think, rightly drawn the conclusion that the way that Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit is not the way that you would expect uh, a impersonal force to be discussed. So the Holy Spirit wasn't granted personhood by Christians. Uh, his personhood was, I think, simply recognized by Christians as they carefully uh, looked at and studied Scripture. And so it's for these reasons and more that Christians look at the teaching in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, and they arrive at the conclusion that uh, clearly we we affirm and believe that there is one God because that is also what the Bible teaches. And yet, inescapably, the Bible also teaches that God consists of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so the way that Christians have articulated this or that we can articulate this is that, um, as I said in the fruit snacks, if you were to ask me uh, what I am, I, I, what I am is a human being. That, that is, that's the proper answer to that question. But if you ask me who I am, I would tell you my name. I would tell you about myself. I wouldn't tell you that I'm a human if you ask me who I am. And so it's the same way we can conceive of the Trinity in this way that uh, what the, the answer to the what is, is God. The answer to the who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is one God and God is what we're talking about, but who God is, is these three persons and they are co-equally and co-eternally God. So that's a very basic overview and recap of the fruit snacks. There's more information in, in those, so I'd still encourage you to go ahead and listen to those if you haven't. But um, one of the things that I've asked Brady to do is when we get to these longer episodes, since he's going to be approaching these topics and these doctrines probably in a very similar manner to many of you, if, if this is not something that you have already spent a significant amount of time looking at or studying on your own, then uh, I've asked Brady to kind of listen to the fruit snacks ahead of time and then to generate his own observations, his own questions, things that he wants to, to discuss more from a layperson's standpoint and we can just we can just talk about them so he hasn't uh he hasn't fed me his script i don't actually know <laughs> what he's gonna say uh and that's part of i think what we want to do and, and there's a really good chance that if he has a question or he he notices something that at least one person out there has the same question and so we want to kind of approach it this way and uh and we'll see how it goes so yeah get away brady yeah, no, I, I think that's good because, you know, uh, obviously the, the fruit snacks are, are great, you know, even for myself, just being able to listen to some of those and, and, and grasp just a little bit each time I listen. Um, but one thing you said talking about the Trinity that I wanted to kick us off with and really ask you about is you mentioned, you know, stop using analogies, which you know, I think everybody wants to be able to use an analogy. And yeah. I know I've heard many um, over the years, but what would you say are the most common analogies that people use that are in some cases, uh, heresies, and we can get into that in a little bit, but, yeah. um, what would you list as kind of those common analogies and why are they bad? Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. So I think for me, the most common one that I have heard over the years is water. Mm. Uh, and, and this idea that just like, just like water is, it's one thing we would say it's all water, but water can take three different forms, you know, as a, as a solid water is ice as a liquid, it's liquid water. And as a 
gas, it is vapor, it's steam, but it's all water. And so just in that same way, we can say that God is, uh, God is all, it's all, it's one God, but that there are three different, uh, forms or faces or, or, um, ways that we can see or that God has revealed himself to us in, in the form of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And so that's one, that's a super common one. Um, the other really common one that I've heard a lot of is the egg analogy Mm -hmm. that would say that, you know, it's one egg, but the egg consists of three parts. It's the shell, it's the yolk, it's the white. And even though all of it is the egg, um, that it consists of different parts. So the problem with analogies and, and these two analogies actually commit, uh, different fallacies and are also, they're unbiblical in different ways. And so one of the, one of the reasons that I, I think analogies really fail us here is because we, we all know that analogies break down at some point or another. Mm-hmm. And so when we're trying to use an analogy for the, the, the person uh, and the being of God and it breaks down, it can lead us into some really serious theological quicksand. Yeah. So with the water analogy, by saying that water can take different forms at different times and then applying that idea to God, you end up espousing a, a, a heresy uh, known as modalism. Mm. And modalism is this, is this idea that the God, that God um, is one God, but that God has revealed himself or has, um, has shown himself to people in different forms throughout history. And so for instance, there's one single God, one single person of God, and in the Old Testament, that God revealed himself to people as the Father. And then in, in the life and times of Jesus, Jesus revealed himself, so God revealed himself to people as the person of Jesus, as the Son. And then after Jesus ascended, that God then came back and revealed himself, and now in this dispensation of, of history, God reveals himself and, and uh, as the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that sounds, that sounds fine. I think it at very, very first glance, but the problem is that, um, not only is that not what scripture teaches, but we can find clear examples of, of in scripture where the, the persons uh, of God are, are discussed simultaneously mm-hmm. and we also see them in scripture uh, present simultaneously so so one of the biggest problems that i think we we would have with modalism is what in the world do you do with jesus's baptism if modalism is is correct right, right? because at, in jesus's baptism you have jesus and the spirit in the form of uh, that looks at, at like a dove ascend uh, you know descending onto Jesus and then at the same time uh, a voice from heaven saying this is my son mm-hmm. and so but basically and I've heard it said before if modalism is true then then Jesus's baptism is not only absurd it's just downright it, it's uh, it's dishonest right mm-hmm. it, God is doing some sort of cosmic ventriloquism act <laughs> if that's the case because there aren't actually three people it's just one mm-hmm. and so it's just hard to square with scripture what it tries to do it, it tries to it, it tries to protect 
Christianity uh, from the charge of tritheism, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that that we believe in three separate gods, which is which is not the case, and, and that's a that's a valiant effort, and that's a good thing to try and protect from one extreme. But in so doing, it, it goes to the other extreme, and it ends up creating some problems and just in espousing things that just, like I said, just aren't aren't biblical. The egg analogy, on the other hand, is problematic because like like an egg, if you think about it in this way, um, if that is how God works or is, you know, within his personhood, no single part of the egg is the entire egg. And so this would lead down the slippery slope of basically saying so that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are put together God but that none of them on their own mm. are fully God, that they need the other ones in order to be you know, fully divine. And again, not, not what Scripture teaches. It teaches us that, you know, uh, I think it's in Colossians off the top of my head, that, that Jesus, in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, right? That Jesus had all the fullness of divinity uh, in him. And, and so he didn't, he, he wasn't um, missing pieces. He wasn't a third of God. He was fully divine. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just, that's what, that's what scripture teaches. And so to, to use an analogy like an egg where you end up with parts and pieces of God where none of them are fully God without the others is just not, again, accurate. And so it, they all break down at some point. And that's why I think they're just not helpful. They're helpful to think about visually, but they're just not biblical. And for that reason, I think it's just better to stick to, to stick to what the Bible teaches. And even if we can't find a handy way of just immediately saying, Oh, I get it. Um, maybe there's part of this that is not supposed to be so easy to grasp because God, the, the, the three persons of God, if that's how God is, and I think there's good reasons to think that's how God is, then God is absolutely unique in all of creation, um, that no other, no other being is multi-personal. Only God would be that. And so there's a reason that we have a really hard time grasping it. And it kind of makes our brains hurt because we have no, no, we have nothing to compare God to like an analogy that actually would, would fit because there is nothing else like God. And so, I think we're just left to saying this is what the Bible teaches. Um, God is one what, but three who's. We have nothing else to compare to that. So there's no analogy that we can give. Um, it just is what God has revealed about himself to us. And that's that. We just have yeah. to kind of have to leave it at that. I think the most common uh, one I had heard uh, for a long time was this idea that, you know, God is like the ocean and you can look at Jesus as like if you were to take a cup and scoop up the ocean, you know, but obviously that's extremely limiting in its uh, capabilities, right? Well, and, and you also run into the same issue as the egg analogy exactly. with saying, well, so Jesus got a, a cup full of divinity. Right, exactly. Right. You're limiting that power. Right. And right. I mean, and we know that he, um, he, in, he, he gave up the independent use of certain attributes of being God. For instance, because Jesus uh, chose to take on a human a human body and to become incarnate, 
that means necessarily that he in that in in the same way that he would have been before he's not he, he's no longer omnipresent correct right um because he's limited by right. the human body that doesn't however mean that um and we can get into this too so what does that mean for jesus but um that that he is that he didn't possess any of the essential characteristics or attributes of what it would mean to be god and that is um that is an important point that we can get to we can get to now or we can get to later but just about how it's really important how we frame how we talk about Jesus and his nature mm-hmm. um his his human and his divine nature because again you can get into real real trouble there um by by saying things that sound good but mm-hmm. that end up not actually being biblical yeah no actually i think that's perfect because i think that's a perfect segue into you know exactly what i would like to talk about next which is you know, when we look at, you know, some of the, the errors that we've talked about, I think you mentioned it in, in one of the episodes, you know, where you're talking about Jesus as part of the Trinity, was just this idea of errors historically about who Jesus was in his divinity, mm-hmm. you know, how, how was he um, actually perceived, how do we sometimes talk about him where, you know, we may misconstrue something. Yeah, why don't you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the biggest one of the biggest sort of faux pas or theological errors that I consistently hear Christians say when they're trying to talk about or describe the the, the dual natures of Jesus that he was fully uh, that that he was that he was divine that he was human is that they'll say something like Jesus was one hundred percent human and one hundred percent God and I mean I, I didn't do great in math but. <laughs> That's not that's not a thing, right? Because then that means Jesus is two hundred percent of something, right? So, and you don't want to turn around and say, "Well, then um, Jesus was fifty percent human and fifty percent God," because that's not what Scripture teaches either, right? And so, right. there's a reason that the apostles didn't frame things in this way. And if you if you, and I think it's because they they were they were wise. If you Look at the uh, the the Didache. I think the earliest teaching of the apostles, or might even be in the Apostles' Creed. I can't remember. I think it's in the Apostles' Creed. the The wording that they use is very important, and I think it's wording that we would do well to just copy because it's it's dead on. They don't even say in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus was fully God and fully man. What they say is that Jesus was truly God. And truly man. And I think that wording is super important mm-hmm. because what what we're what they're saying, and I don't think they're intending to be philosophical about it, but what they're basically saying is that Jesus is again unique in, in his incarnation. Mm-hmm. Never never happened before, never will happen again. And so in that way, there's some unique things about Jesus. But what they're saying by saying he was truly human and truly uh truly divine is that Jesus simultaneously possessed all the essential attributes uh, of what it means to be human Mm -hmm. and all the essential attributes of what it means to be God. That doesn't mean, and this is why we don't use the term fully, I think. If we do, I think it's it's just inaccurate. But this is because what we don't mean is that um, Jesus, to say Jesus is fully human would sort of imply this idea that he experienced every single possible thing that a human could experience or 
that he that that certain things that we might think are part and parcel of the human experience that Jesus must have experienced those too but it might turn out that uh, that that's not the case that those aren't essential for right. instance we know Jesus experienced hunger but is being hungry essential to being human i don't think it is i think right. he he did some of those things because he can identify with so our suffering and our hardships but when you get right down to the the philosophical end of things what what is essential to being a human i think it is that you are uh you are a being in possession of both a body and a soul that you're an ensouled body or an embodied soul however mm-hmm. however you want to spin that and and um jesus jesus possessed those attributes right he he was an ensouled body or an embodied soul and as such he he possessed every attribute that was essential to humanity. So we could rightly say he's human. That doesn't mean that he experienced every single thing that that a human or even most humans experience. Jesus was never married. Jesus never had kids. Jesus never uh, Jesus never flew. He never right. Like so, we have all these different uh, uh, things. You know that even in our modern context, we'd be like, well. He didn't experience that. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he isn't human. Right. Because he has the essentials. And in the same way, when you look at at what is then what is then essential to being God, well, uh, apparently it's not essential that God be uh, unembodied. Because if Jesus is God and he and he had a body for a time, and actually I think the New Testament teaches Jesus will now uh, as the second person of the Trinity, he will always have a glorified body and that mm. that will be uh, his scars will be a, an eternal reminder of of what he did uh, for his people on the cross, right? And so J- Jesus um, now, uh, even though he's God, he doesn't, he, he's not um, a spirit in the same way that, uh, or immaterial in the same way that the the Holy Spirit is or that the Father is, right? And so you see things like that and you go, okay, maybe some of the ways that we conceive of God aren't actually essential because, because Jesus, we can look at Jesus and go, I guess that isn't essential to being God because Jesus did it. Right. And so by saying he's truly man and truly God, we're affirming that he, he is all the things he needed to be at the same time without getting into some of these weird little rabbit trails that we really don't want to go down. And, and so some of these old uh, ideas about Jesus that get off track, and I mentioned in the fruit snacks, is some would overemphasize his divinity at the expense of his humanity. And one of the very first uh, heresies that we see about this was called uh, docetism, and it comes from the Greek word that is translated to seem. And the, so the reason it's called docetism is because the whole doctrine is that um, Jesus did not actually have a physical body, or he wasn't actually human. Uh, because according to them, and this is more Greek thought coming in, that having a human body would be beneath God. God wouldn't stoop to that level. That would be far below God. And so Jesus was divine, but it only seemed uh, or appeared to people like he actually had a, a, a body. He didn't. And that also means that docetists would say that uh, Jesus wasn't actually crucified. It was someone else that looked like Jesus. So again, it only seemed, and you see that idea actually get picked up 
um, interestingly enough, by, by Muslims, that the Quran actually teaches that Jesus wasn't actually crucified on the cross, that it only seemed mm. like he was. And so there's there's a, a, a little bit of a trace of docetism even in, in Islamic teaching nowadays. Uh, on the other hand, you have other heresies that would overemphasize the humanity of Jesus mm. at the expense of his divinity. And so you have one of the, one of the most well-known ones is Arianism. And Arianism taught that Jesus uh, was a man, but that he uh, was not uh, fully divine. Uh, there's versions of Arianism that you see in different places, but uh, one one that comes to mind is uh, a, a version that would sort of be like uh, I think it, they would it would be called adoptionism, and it's the idea that Jesus was a human being who lived so well that uh, basically upon his death, God decided to to divinize him, to make him divine. And so Jesus became God as a result of a, a life well-lived, which gets not only into problems of, of salvation and how that works if mm-hmm. Jesus can just earn divinity, um, but also it pretty much makes salvation hopeless for the rest of us because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can't. Right. And so there's that. Um, and so that, that's one aspect of it, but basically the idea of Arianism is that Jesus was human, but not fully divine. And there's a version of this that gets espoused by, uh, Jehovah's witnesses. Jehovah's witnesses are basically modern day Arians because what they teach is that Jesus was a created being, that Jesus was the first being created by God, that he's the most powerful being created by God. He's the most important creature uh, and he has preeminence at, at, uh, amongst all other created beings, but that Jesus is a created being, meaning he's not eternal in the past. And uh, they they do some they do some backflips with their scriptures to and, and their translation of First uh, John one and of um, Colossians chapter three. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter one to to get there. But um, that's basically the idea: is that that Jesus is not not God. Um, he's not, he's more than human, but he's, he's definitely not, not God. And that's, that's Arianism. So yeah, those are kind of the different directions that it's been taken. And, and, um, as Christians, we would just affirm, well, you know, none of the above that, that again, just as the uh, apostles creed says that Jesus is truly man and truly God, that he had all the essential characteristics of both, that he's the, he is the eternal second person of the Trinity, coexistent with the father coexistent with the holy spirit he's always been he has never been created but he created everything and through him and by him all things that came into being came into being as paul says and uh and yet he he took on humanity he took on flesh for us lived as a human and and died as a human so that we as humans may have a way uh, of salvation made for us if jesus wasn't fully human then he can't his his death doesn't do anything for us yeah and so it's um but if jesus was fully human but not god then his death can't do anything for us either so it has to be both it has to be both right and and the same thing is true again when we're talking about the holy spirit because i know um you know in your holy spirit episode of fruit snacks you you talked about some different examples of of how you know you can see that personhood behind the Holy Spirit, that it's not just, you know, just this kind of mystical force that you actually see, you know, that he has that co-equal power with uh, the Father and the Son, 
uh, but you also see him being described. Uh, but it was interesting because as you're, as you're describing, you know, the baptism and you see, you know, the dove as the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus, it, it, it makes it, I think, mentally difficult to kind of wrap your head around this idea that it is a, I guess, a person or, you know, you have this kind of personal uh, being, yet I can speak for myself, like I know that I've felt that personal presence of the Holy Spirit. So um, I guess my question uh, as it pertains to that is how how would you look at that or how would you, uh, I guess, explain through that process seeing kind of the personhood behind, you know, in that specific example and then, you know, carry that into other examples as well. You mean with like the baptism mm-hmm. of Jesus and because the Holy Spirit appears like an animal form is yeah. kind of what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, and not even so much the, the animal form, but I guess more or less just, the, you know, taking it where, you know, I guess it could be perceived as being more of a force or kind of this spiritual kind of just kind of being, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So part of it, and I think this is where a careful reading of scripture mm-hmm. uh, comes in. And actually, I'm going to just, I'm going to hop over to it. And if you're listening here, I'm going to just edit out the time that it takes me to, to find the scripture. So when you read the account of Jesus's baptism, and you can see this in Matthew chapter three, it's also in Mark chapter one, uh, in Luke chapter three, and then in John chapter one, when you look at these passages, they all say something identical. The phrase is identical, that they saw that the the spirit descending on him, Jesus, like a dove. So that's important because what none of the gospel writers are saying is that the Holy spirit was a dove or that there was any kind of actual, actual form taken there, but it was more of this. It's symbolism. It's, it's a metaphor for, um, what, what the dove stood for in, in the ancient culture and, and the symbolism of, of peace, the symbolism of, you know, all of those different things that uh that the 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 people of that day would have understood it to be in terms of seeing the holy spirit like a force then yeah i mean i think part of the problem is that we and this is this could be a whole other doctrinal topic is just the doctrine of, of the holy spirit yeah but part of the issue I, I i suspect is that we don't quite know what to do with the holy spirit because we to your point we don't really know how to picture him Mm -hmm. um because the father we can picture at least in a way because we have fathers right Right. and so in some sort of roundabout way we we have a concept of what that means Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and so and and the way that he's described he's described as sitting on a throne he's described you know in these different ways and you you picture a king you picture royalty you picture a throne you picture all those different things yeah yeah, I was going to say, and you also obviously get, you know, from Jesus' perspective, you know, he's modeling that relationship as well as to how, you know, we talk to the Father and how... Right, we're... yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Jesus, the, the Son and the Father are easier for us to to um, to visualize and to, to sort of interact with because we have more uh, concrete categories for, for them, both in our own personal experience uh, relationally, but also in scripture. Right. Right. And then you get to the Holy spirit. And we know, as we talked about that, that scripture clearly affirms the personhood of the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, I 
don't regularly uh, interact with uh, spirits <laughs> other than the Holy Spirit, right? And right. so that does become that does become a little bit tough because you start to think about, well, then what does that mean exactly? And I, I think um, w- one of the ways that it can be helpful to to think of the Holy Spirit is sort of in the same way that Jesus describes him as he is promising him to the disciples before he before he ascends. Mm. And and that is that the Holy Spirit is a comforter and a helper. And that's important because I don't know that it's as crucial for us to have an image in our mind or, or to, to conjure up kind of what we think uh, the Holy Spirit could, could look like or be like or anything like that. Um, not only because you really, I think that's, I think that's a road we don't want to travel just based on, uh, based on the, the second commandment in Exodus, but also because I'm not sure it's helpful because anything we think of in our minds is, is going to inevitably not match reality at least completely, or it could just be way off. And so in, in that way, I think it's more helpful to focus on the role of the Holy spirit right? and what he is here to do for me and what mm-hmm. he does for me. And so that's where in my own personal life, when I'm praying and things like that, I tend to focus on and just listen for his voice mm-hmm. and just, just focusing on just hearing yep. um, from him rather than seeing, which is hard because we're so visual. Right. But that I think is helpful because I have never once failed to uh, experience when I, when I ask for it and when I'm, when I'm uh, taking time to, to be quiet and still uh, I've never once failed to experience all the things that the Holy spirit promised that he would be and mm. do yeah. <laughs> for me. Right. The comfort, mm-hmm. the, the, the teacher, the helper, yeah, the, uh, the one who interprets and who prays for me on my behalf, all these things I have, I have been able to experience all of those in conversation with the Holy spirit. Right. Um, as I, as I just listen for his voice and, um, with his voice com- is that tangible feeling of his presence, even though I, you know, I can't attach it to any, any image or any visual or anything like that. But, but again, um, all those words of comforting, helping, teaching, those are things that are, again, personal. Yeah. Those, those are things that persons do for each other, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it, it very much is a personal relationship, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a good question. It's hard for us to picture. Um, but I think maybe that's part of the issue is that I'm not sure that the intention ever was for us to picture yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's great. I think that, uh, that puts it into a really good perspective and, and really helps, you know, kind of wrap your head around the idea. Like you just said, it's, the intent is not to visualize and, you know, probably be easy if we weren't so reliant on these eyeballs of ours, right? Well, but, just how visual our whole society is now. Right, exactly. So, no, but that's, it's good. Yeah. Cause like I mentioned, you know, for me, it's like, I know, I know the feeling, I know, I know how I feel when I'm personally, you know, interacting with the Holy Spirit and I can feel when the, the Spirit is, you know, interceding on my behalf and, you know, being able to hear, but I think, yeah, that the visualization aspect of it, when we, you know, think about certain passages like, you know, Jesus's baptism, you know, you kind of have this physical depiction that I guess, you know, it's good to read it in context to really understand that it's, they're not saying he, it was a dove saying it right. like a dove. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Great. Well, I think uh, that that covers a majority of my questions. And again, if you guys haven't already listened to uh, those fruit snacks, I, you know, most of my questions were really kind of referencing specific topics that uh, were addressed in those fruit snacks. So go give those a listen if you haven't. And uh, I think that's a wrap for today's episode. Yeah. I'll just encourage you to, if you have a doctrine that you would like us to cover in upcoming fruit snacks or, or long form episodes, we have a list going. Uh, I'm working ahead uh, uh, to produce those. And so we have, we have plenty of information and, uh, and, and topics that are on a, on a list. But if there's one that you would particularly be interested in, uh, send us an email uh, at podcast at rooted.productions and let us know. And uh, we'll, we'll get it added to the list. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on the Rooted Podcast, a creation of Rooted Productions and an affiliate of the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. For more information about the podcast or to submit a question or comment, please visit us at rooted.productions. Follow us on Instagram at rooted.productions or email podcast at rooted.productions. That's rooted.productions. We hope you'll join us next time.